Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at cars and transport from a variety of angels. Or should that be angles? Or it could be both. I'm David Brown and in this week's news stories we hear that Nissan has chosen Japan over the UK to build their new X-Trail SUV. And there is now a way to tap into the huge amount of information that your car is collecting. We went to a Maserati track day and fanged around in cars with a total value of at least $2 million. Maserati's Chief Executive Officer, Glenn Seeley, tells us why that is a good thing. I like the guy. We have a chat with Paul Morell about the new Suzuki Jimny, and Brian Smith, Errol Smith and I discuss a quirky topic or two. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au All previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's start with the news. Nissan has confirmed that their new X-Trail, originally planned to be built at its Sunderland plant near Newcastle, in the UK, will instead be made in Japan. It said continued Brexit uncertainty is not helping firms to plan for the future. Nissan has made cars at Sunderland since 1986 and employs almost 7,000 people. The government said Nissan's decision was a blow to the sector, but that no jobs will go as a result, which suggests they will continue to build cars there but not expand with the new X-Trail model. There has been some good news for Tesla. They made a profit in the last quarter of 2018 of $139 million, which is on a revenue of $7.2 billion, and this was the second consecutive quarter of profitability. But the bad news is that for the whole year, they lost nearly $1 billion. That is, however, better than 2017, where they lost $1.9 billion. The Silicon Valley carmaker attributed its back-to-back profitable quarters to sales of its Model 3 sedan, which has a starting price of just $35,000 and was previously plagued by production problems. The company said it sold 140,000 Model S's in the fourth quarter of 2018 and it expects to build 7,000 of the vehicles per week by the end of 2019. Cars are now collecting a huge amount of information about how they are operating, which can be of great help or just interest to the owner. But much of the information is hidden and would be distracting to view while you are driving and cumbersome to look at if you have to stay seated in the car. Almost every car made after 1996 has a connection port under the dashboard to connect diagnostic systems. The port is called the OBD, Onboard Diagnostic 2 port. ScanTool now makes a product called the OBD Link MX Plus, which costs about 140 Australian dollars, which uses a wireless dongle to connect the car to your smartphone, tablet or Windows PC via Bluetooth. The app lets the user completely customise information screens with multiple dashboards for different situations. 
You can set up one for fuel consumption information, one for engine performance, one for speed and acceleration rates, and so on. When Overdrive tested the Hyundai Ioniq electric vehicle at its launch recently, we noted it had a built-in Bluetooth connection system, so you could sit comfortably on your lounge and look at the car's charge levels, schedule the most efficient time to charge it, and prepare it for your next trip. The Super Bowl has been and gone for another year, and some car manufacturers showed they were prepared to produce specific ads and then pay $5.2 million for a 30-second slot during the game. In America, it is a great offence for some if you do not stand for the national anthem, but it is quite acceptable to involve the national song in two critical activities, gambling and making profits. There were huge bets on how long Gladys Knight would take to sing the anthem, and then Jeep used it as the background music to their ad that also used iconic features such as the famous 1945 picture of six marines raising the flag on top of Mount Suribaki during the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. Mercedes' ad had a character with the apparent gifts of making things happen by just suggesting it out loud, similar to the movie Bruce Almighty where Jim Carrey gets to play God. The Mercedes man helps American golfer Ricky Fowler make a putt, turns pedestrian lights to his advantage and helps people break the law by destroying parking tickets. The point at the end of the ad is that this is just a dream, but in the new Mercedes, the voice actuation system immediately completes all of your commands. Not all Super Bowl ads were aimed at patriotism, humour or sentimentality. Canada's Union for Car Workers aired its General Motors boycott campaign ad during the Super Bowl, ignoring lawsuit threats if it went to air. The ad called for a boycott of Mexican-built General Motors vehicles in an effort to save the Oshawa assembly plant, set to close at the end of the year. GM's Oshawa plant, which builds the Chevrolet and Impala and Cadillac XTS, is one of five North American plants General Motors is planning to indefinitely idle this year as the slow-selling products built at these plants are discontinued. And that has been the news. I went to a full track day exercise, driving a range of Maserati cars in a variety of conditions, including the skid pan, taking the SUV on dirt, and then doing some laps of the circuit in six different models. Along with fine food and expert driver tuition, the cost of the day is free, but you have to be invited. To understand how you can get invited, you have to know where Maserati is coming from. I went for a gentle ride with Maserati Australia's Chief Operating Officer, Glenn Seeley, in his personal Levante SUV and had a bit of a chat. You are talking a buzzword of the family, yet to you that's really critical, isn't it? It is. La Familia is very important for us. Our customers really appreciate the additional attention they get when they come to a Maserati dealership as opposed to being one of many when they go to another brand. We are an exclusive brand. We, we sell not so many cars in Australia and not so many around the world. And as such, we do have a family, a good, strong customer base that we like to genuinely refer to as our, as our family. We, we eat with them on, when we have a number of events. 
um, and we share good tales with them through Il Tridente uh, and we try and genuinely catch up with our customers through Money Can't Buy events. Yeah, Money Can't Buy, we'll come to that. We've just been to one full day out at Eastern Creek Raceway. Yes. You would offer that in every sense of the word to uh, customers or to people that you are um, cultivating now that sounds too manipulative but you are dealing with as a relationship absolutely so what you've experienced today is something that we don't charge for it's something unique for us um, it's a money can't buy experience because you can't buy your way in you must be invited um, and that's for Australia only of course but it is a mixture of customers and uh, prospects or people who would like to be Maserati owners Hmm. So for sure, it's it's a wonderful experience, and it's that's not your everyday track day. I mean, we we deck out the garages as if they were a premium Maserati lounge. We bring in premium Italian chefs to give you some of the best food that you can have in Sydney there on the side of a racetrack. So it's it's far from just getting in the car and driving. It's about meeting interesting people, socialising, good camaraderie and, um, of course, great performance cars. So you do that in other ways as well, the chamber orchestra, what does, what does that involve? That's correct. So, you know, there's, there's many other things that we do. One of them is the Australian Chamber Orchestra, where we will have private uh, or, or, or private um, recitals for Maserati customers. Um, where we'll have a small intimate event where the full ACO will play just for us. And I can think of a time where we did that at the dealership in Sydney and it resonated wonderfully with our audience. Um, but we also have access to things like um, recitals in private homes um, and also practice. So when we have overseas musicians coming in to set up the, an ongoing tour, um, when they practice, when the musicians practice, and this is the most authentic musical experience you can have to see good musicians practicing with each other, learning as they go through. And that is something, authenticity is very important to us, and that is something that we see as, that resonates with our, our customer base, and of course that's something we have for our Maserati audience. I wouldn't have to wear a tuxedo to go to that? No, absolutely not. In fact, not, not that only, there's anything wrong with a tuxedo, but... Not only do you not have to wear a tuxedo, but we welcome their children. Oh! Because there's, you know, there's many customers whose children have, you know, musical aspirations. And to have children come in the next generation and appreciate classical, classical music in its most raw form is fantastic. And so it's, it's more than just okay, come in and, and, and listen to some nice music. It's, it's really come in and experience authenticity at its most basic level. Performance car has often been very blokey. Yes. Yet you're finding that you are getting more women to this, and in fact more partners, I think, come to track days like this. How do, how do they feel on that? It's, it's amazing. Normally when the partners come, there's some... Um, uh, reservation at the start um, in terms of getting in and driving I'll, you know we, we have you know some some customers partners say look I'd prefer not to maybe I'll just sit and watch for a bit but we do coax them in 
and as you experienced today the trainers are excellent the driving training is intuition is excellent it, they caters for everyone from a complete novice to an absolute professional and so part of that is getting getting involvement getting the family involved so to speak and we find that they have a wow of a time they come out they've got smiles on their faces they just love it whether it's you know the the off-road track which they never thought they could do and they do with you know a plot they do it easily mm. or whether if it's the skid pan where they're getting their cars sideways they just love it and once they've done that you cannot keep them off the track they're lined up ready to go to get their helmet on and get in that car and go and they have a wow of a day are there a couple of blokes that might come out here and feel that uh, perhaps their bravado was didn't have as much skill to it as they might have thought there's always that the one good thing um, about that though is the electronics of the car mm. work very well to keep everyone safe secondly we have excellent instructors to make sure that no one can really overstep the mark uh, so we, we we're very very lucky in that regard we've, we've had in my eight years or nine years of tenure uh, no incident on a racetrack yet and I believe the women listen well oh they do that's why they make great students um, we, we've had more than one occasion where um, the husband and wife arrive the husband knows everything the wife is not so yeah, um, is, is a little yeah she's a, um, you know, not quite ready or, or not quite as enthusiastic by the end of the day clearly through listening her skill set is far better than his thank you very much for your time david it's absolute pleasure <laughs> thank you thank you this is overdrive across australia Well, we've just talked to Maserati about their track day. We were there, as was our great colleague, Paul Morell, who joins us on the line. Now, Paul, Eastern Creek, do you like that as a circuit for this type of event? David, I think Eastern Creek is a magical circuit, although you're not allowed to call it Eastern Creek anymore. It's the Sydney Motorsport Park. I guess like the Clipsal 500, it will always be the Clipsal 500, and Eastern Creek will always be Eastern Creek. But the official name now is the Sydney Motorsport Park wonderful circuit the thing it does is that corners happen so quickly i think and particularly two three and four and into five corners we know that we did the corner test on two which is more than a hairpin so you really got to pick it right then you come out into three which is a sweeping uphill that builds up speed and gets you into a lovely slide over the crest down the hill hard on the brakes breaking downhill and driving fast downhill it wasn't at rono alterton that said driving uphill is easy driving downhill is the real test <laughs> Uh, and then you get that sweeping right-hander, which you can't get carried away in or think you're doing too well without keeping to the right for the next corner five, now known as Brock Corner, because it comes up and you want to be out on the right-hand side to duck in and take the left-hand corner. It's really one you've got to think about an awful lot. It is. You were obviously thinking about it a lot more than I was. I, did, I didn't remember all those names. I just drove each corner as it approached. But uh, it, is a, it is a very challenging circuit. Uh, it's, it's 
as you say, that the change in elevation makes it more challenging. And as, as you also say, breaking downhill when you're going fast downhill is, is particularly important. And remembering Maseratis are quite heavy, so you need to factor that into what you're doing as well. Uh, it was a great it was a great circuit. I find it much more challenging than, say, Phillip Island. Phillip Island's a more open, sweeping circuit. This one has some quite strange changes in camber and some quite strange changes in the radius of corners, which is a great test for a car like a Maserati. Clearly, the GT was uh, taut, tight and terrific. The big sedan, the Quadraporte, I thought that was very credible as well, that it was such a large car, you know, with a, a lovely big V8 and eight-speed gearbox. It uh, did remarkably well i thought the convertible you don't get quite the torsional rigidity with the cabriolet do you no you never do chopping the roof off a car will always have some unavoidable effects on its on its structural rigidity i mean i'm not saying for one moment that it was sloppy no it was not as tight as the coupe and and you're right the big sedan was quite amazing and i think the biggest surprise of all for the day was the levante which is an suv how competent that was on track considering how it's got a higher centre of gravity it was quite quite a it was an enlightening day which of course is their which is their intention the SUV does have more weight and does sit up higher I thought it moved around a bit more but in a very controlled and and might I say wonderfully enjoyable way oh absolutely and the other thing was the circuit there at the international raceway or whatever also has the off-road bit and they put the levante on there with its what nine 21 inch rims low profile tires street tires on it and they went over some very steep hills some very loose surfaces uphill stopped on that started going again i thought it did surprisingly well it did and it's as usual and as i said to us you know probably Virtually no owners would ever want to do that with that vehicle. And just as a reminder, the one we were in was the the new entry level, the 350, which is the entry level Levante, which made it even more impressive. You're right, it climbed some incredible inclines. It it kept traction on dust and dirt and gravel. And and as you say, it was on not just compromised off-road tyres, which is quite often the case. There's a a compromise between on-road performance and off-road performance. These were just simply uncompromising high-performance road tyres. And it just it just went everywhere and stopped halfway up that hill. And then they washed it off and put it on the circuit. And we think mm. and we think it around there. So a very interesting day and a day which I think is more than just the boys hoons hooning around and that. I think it was one of well, it had elegance, but it also with the driving instructors beside you, racing drivers, I learnt a lot. Yes. I notice on the first run around the circuit, the people, and you and I were interviewed with the camera and what have you, and they asked how fast they got. I nearly said the first time I went down the main straight, I think I got up to about three Hail Marys for the (laughs) person sitting beside me. (laughs) Yes. My answer to that was I was concentrating way too much to look at the, the speedometer. It's, you, know, you, you really want to see where you're going, not see how fast you're going. Indeed it is. After the break, uh, we'll just have a slight pause and then we'll talk about the new Suzuki on the market, the Little Jimny. You're listening to Overdrive. Overdrive. 
Well, welcome back, Paul. We went on the launch of the new Jimny. Let's go way back, 1970. The first Suzuki four-wheel drive came out. It was a little two-cylinder, some would say a buzz box with uh, canvas doors and a canvas roof. But I've got to say, they did actually go off-road very well. They did. The so-called serious off-roaders used to stand there and point and laugh at them until you, until they realised that you could go places in a Jimny that they couldn't take a Land Rover or a, a Land Cruiser or any of the bigger SUVs. These things would go in the most amazing places. In fact, you had that experience when you were working in marketing, didn't you? I did indeed, David. We were advertising, I shouldn't mention the brand, but I will, it was Land Rover and was the Land Rover Discovery or Defender. And my art director at the time had a, a little Suzuki Jimny and he would he delighted in getting it up a hill and then saying to me, bring the, bring the Land Rover up here so I can photograph it, and then laughing when I couldn't get it up there. But of course, it was also because it was short wheelbase, it was a narrow, narrow track, so it would get into all sorts of places, whereas something longer wheelbase would sort of just beach itself on a rock or a hump or whatever. I did it often, I must admit. And then, of course, the Jimny didn't have enough power to tow me out, so it was doubly, doubly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, a colleague of mine had one when it had upgraded to a three-cylinder. Woo! <laughs> I was following him up a hill, and he was clearly struggling, and somewhat symbolically he put his hand out the side, and, and like he was twisting a clock key to wind up the <laughs> spring. I think he was making a point about it. Now, the new Jimny it has, I think, better looks, but without losing the heritage. Does I, it's funny, David? I've spoken to a fair, fair few people since we did that launch, and I think it's got a, a really sort of cute, almost almost um, function over form look. It's got that sort of Tonka toy look about it, particularly with the black roof and some of the brighter colours. Other people I've spoken to think it's just basically ugly, uh, but then it's it's an off-road SUV, so I guess you know it's not meant to it's not meant to be a pretty stylish little car. It, it just it does what it has to do and looks looks the way it has to look. I think you run the grave risk if you try too hard with those things that they become cutesy when, in essence, they're functional. I tell you who used to use them a lot, and I guess we'll still use them now, and that's farmers. That was just mm. being able to buy a little knockabout, runabout, competent off-road vehicle without having all the luxuries and bells and whistles to it. I, I think as far as a value-for-money statement go, they go, well, we didn't get to drive them on the road. I'm driving one in about a week's time on the road. I think that in itself will be an interesting exercise. Yes, it will. All the things that make it so capable off-road, being fixed axles and, and interesting spring rates and uh, the short wheelbase and the narrow track, will all work against it on the road, I, I suspect, because I haven't driven one on the road either. I know in the old days, the older ones were, let's just say, a little unsophisticated. <laughs> and if you valued your kidneys and liver, you really should wear a, a kidney belt. I have still heard reports on the new one that it's not as bad as it's certainly not as bad as they used to be, and it's in fact surprisingly competent on road as well. So I'm looking forward, like you, to seeing what it does on the road. Uh, we will chat again when it comes to that, mate. Always good to talk to you. What's the name of your your website now? SeniorDriverOz.com, aimed at the over fifty driver, the person who's over fifty years old and has an IQ over fifty as well. <laughs> oh, I, I feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. 
You too, David. Talk to you soon. And that's Paul Morrill, as you say, from uh, the Senior Drivers Oz, A-U-Z, A-U-S, sorry, A-U-S website. Good stuff. And he writes a very practical review, which gives you a good idea what's changed, what's been different to it. I, I like that approach. Coming up, we might have some quirky news. This is Overdrive across Australia. Well, there's a couple of issues that we cover on our Facebook site, the Overdrive City. Just look it up. We're the only one any, with anything like that sort of name. And there have been a number of significant events that uh, perhaps take on the more unusual or unusual to some. Errol Smith and Brian Smith join me again on the line. G'day, gentlemen. G'day, David. G'day, David. Errol, you have a story for us. Well, David, there is, of course, a world record for everything. Hmm. And somewhere is someone willing to want to beat it and claim it for themselves. So with that in mind, it should come as no surprise that there is a world record for burnouts, which also, not surprisingly, was held by Australia for quite some time with 69 cars burning rubber at the same time. Unfortunately, we lost that crown to Saudi Arabia, who managed to get 119 cars burning rubber, but the Aussies are back on top of the burnout stakes now, now that the 2019 Summer Nats have put together a 126 simultaneous car super burnout. Why? Because they can, I suppose. We have some pictures on the website. It looks like a bushfire, really, doesn't it? Yes. The amount of smoke is enormous. How do they get different colours? There's orange, there's pink, there's yellow. That's amazing. I, I'm intrigued. There's a invention, a opportunity, a business opportunity now, I think, to actually produce tyres that do produce different colours when they burn out. So, David, the, the issue is not just the number, is it? Because it's actually judged. Take us through the criteria. This is, this is fascinating. You don't want to treat this lightly, Brian. The burnout is a unique expression that must be done. I, I see it a little bit like figure skating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't until I read the conditions. Now, Brian yeah, and Errol, you might think it's just burning the tyres. No. There is a criteria. Out of 10, you get a score for instant smoke. So I think that must be good. But you then, out of 20, you get a score for constant smoke. And out of 24, volume of smoke. But most important in the first part of this judging criteria is the driving skill. Mm. But David, aren't they stationary? Isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what you the... don't actually drive forward. So, so that you get a fifty out of fifty if the car doesn't move. Is that <laughs> is, is that the driving skill? As I say, another world record to Australia, but one that I'm not particularly proud of. And you can see pictures of it on our Facebook page at Overdrive City, and we may even put some up on our website. And this has been Overdrive. We greatly appreciate the efforts of Brian Smith, Errol Smith, Paul Morell, Glenn Seeley and Paul Just in helping get this program to air. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify 
and we have a Facebook page, Overdrive City, one word. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.